Michael mentioned earlier the uh, five-week course called Visionary Marriage. Um, one of my favorite quotes, he also said that we had kind of a first mini-seminar. And the reason that we, uh, my wife and I, decided that we wanted to see this thing all the way through is, is most importantly, we know we need to work on us. Um, we're not the experts trying to impart knowledge. It's a video-led series, but the first course, first class in that course started out, um, the speaker said, if you want to have a successful marriage, you've got to become an expert at forgiveness. And I thought, man, he's got something figured out. And uh, how important is that for us in all of our important relationships? You know, not just in our marriage, but especially in all of our important relationships, which segues way perfectly into the title of the message today. So that's what I wanted to talk about today, is forgiveness. Forgiven people forgive people. And since we're on the topic of marriage, I'll share an anecdote with you. Um, Saul Rosenberg did something really stupid one time. So his wife Ethel decided she was going to chew him out for it, and later, of course, he apologized. They made up, but however, from time to time, Ethel would bring up what Saul had done. Honey, Saul finally said one day, why do you keep bringing that up? I thought you said you'd forgive and forget. I did, said Ethel. I just don't want you to forget that I'd forgiven and forgotten. You've heard the saying, hurt people hurt people. And if you haven't, it's a good one. I want to give you the title of our message today, and that is Forgiven People, Forgive People. I want to get into a little bit of the meat of Christianity, some basic foundational principles before you can understand and begin to grasp what it means to forgive someone else. First, we need to understand that we needed to be forgiven. First, we have to acknowledge that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior to forgive us. We've got to understand that we are incapable of getting right with God on our own. Then and only then are we able to offer God the only thing that is acceptable to Him. We find that in Psalm 51, 16 and 17. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. If thou delightest not in burnt offering, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Once we're at this point, being broken in spirit and having a contrite heart, then we're able to receive the only salvation that is available to any in mankind, and that's of Jesus Christ, the manifestation of God, who willingly suffered, laid down his life, and raised himself from the dead for you and I to have the opportunity to get right with him permanently. We do that by coming to him in our brokenness, accepting Jesus as the sacrifice that pays for our sin, and submitting to his will for our lives from that point on. Just like forgiveness, though, we won't do that perfectly. And Jesus knew that. He knew that we would not submit to his will for our lives perfectly forever. He knew that our belief and our trust in him would be challenged and 
that we would not always get that right. So what did he do? He said he'd send a helper. Send a helper who would live in us, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God himself that draws us to this truth to begin with, reveals it to us, then resides in us from the point of salvation, helping us in all sorts of ways. One of those is continually bringing us closer in line with Christ and God's will. That process called sanctification. If you've never heard the term, all it means is less of us and our selfishness and more of God and His righteousness. So I want to ask you this question. If you are a person who claims to have received God's forgiveness for their sin, are you a forgiving person? Are you someone who forgives others? Would people look at you and say, yes, that is a forgiving person? Because forgiven people should be forgiving people. Matthew six fourteen through 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let that sit for about five seconds. Let all the questions start running. So I want to deal with this right off the bat. This verse and others like Mark eleven twenty five through 26, which says, But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now, when you read those, they sound like we're being told that salvation is not possible if you have unforgiveness in your heart at all. But we can't just take a statement and pluck it out of context of everything else that Scripture tells us. Because we also read in the Sermon on the Mount that blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. So kind of to make my point, was Jesus telling us if we do these things, then we'll get these things. If we forgive, we'll be forgiven. If we show mercy, we'll be given mercy. Was he really saying that salvation can only be received if we do or don't do certain things? Of course not, because that's in direct contrast. That would be salvation by our works, which we know is not true. Because in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we read, For by grace are you saved. Through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. So I just talked in a big circle there. But the reason I did, because I want to illustrate the strength of language that Christ and Scripture uses when addressing our responsibility to forgive. So if he's not saying that we have to earn our forgiveness, what is he saying? What he's saying is the natural inclination of a forgiven person should be to forgive people. It's like saying a good tree bears good fruit. I don't say that good fruit makes a tree good. The evidence of that tree being good is in the fruit that it produces. The natural inclination of a forgiving person is to forgive people. Colossians 3.13 says to bear with each other and forgive one another. 
If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Ephesians 4, 31-32, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So I think we can all agree that forgiveness is important. We see very clearly that we're commanded by our Lord to forgive others. For us to begin to understand why forgiveness is so important, just look at the definition of the word. Webster says that forgive means to, one, stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offense or a mistake. Two, cancel a debt. When we use forgiveness in terms of relationships, it's best to think of it this way. Forgiveness is the intentional, voluntary process by which a victim undergoes a change in attitude, then feelings. Notice it's a voluntary process, an act of the will in which we change our attitude, our feelings then follow undergoes a change in attitude and then feelings regarding the offense and lets go of negative emotions such as vengefulness with an increasing ability to wish the offender well. I'm going to read that together one more time because it's important. Forgiveness is the intentional, voluntary process by which a victim undergoes a change in attitude and then feelings regarding the offense and lets go of negative emotions such as vengefulness with an increasing ability to wish the offender well. So now we've addressed what forgiveness is. Let's talk about what it is not. Forgiveness is not condoning. It is not excusing. It is not forgetting. It is not pardoning. It is not reconciliation. It is a prerequisite for these, however give you an example. I can forgive the person who stole from me. That is, I can undergo this voluntary change in my attitude and feelings toward that person, let go of negative emotions. I cannot seek vengeance against that person for what they've done, but I'm not going to trust them with my wallet. I can have let go of that and be free of that. Forgiveness also is not about the other person. Sometimes it's not even necessary for the offender to know that you have forgiven their offense. Now God speaks very strongly on reconciliation. He is in the business of reconciliation. But it is not as vital as forgiveness. He never uses that strength of language. He never uses that strength of language that he uses when he says, forgive or you will not be forgiven. He doesn't say reconcile or you won't be reconciled. He does speak strongly on it in a few cases. Um, he does tell us as far as it is possible to live at peace with those as much as it depends on us, Romans 12, 18. He also tells us one of my favorite verses, if we're offering our gift there at the altar and remember that our brother has something against us, leave our gift at the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. So living right with our fellow man and keeping our relationships right is important. 
So I don't want to make light of reconciliation. But it's hard for that to even be a possibility if we can't get over the hump of forgiveness. So why? Why is it so important to forgive? Because Christ forgave us, and he knows that it is in our best interest to forgive others. Anyone who is truly grateful to have received forgiveness of a debt that they could never pay should willingly offer forgiveness to those with much lesser debts. There's a great story in Scripture, a great parable about that. We read it in Matthew 18, 23 through 35. If you don't have your Bible with you, I intentionally ask that this one not be put on a slide because it's a lot of words. And maybe next time it'll help you remember to bring your Bible. I'm reading from the ESV, so not that that means much, but just so you know if the words aren't exact as what you have. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, a much lesser amount. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I'll pay you. He refused, and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what, he had, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. As we can see, God takes forgiving others quite seriously. It's for the furtherance of his own kingdom and consequently for our own good. Okay, you say you've made your point. I need to forgive, but you don't understand. You see what they've done to me? It's been a lifetime of unmet expectations. Or perhaps what's been done to me or to someone I love was so heinous that I couldn't even begin to forgive that person. They don't deserve it. It's hard. It's really hard. And it takes a lot of guts. Because there are some serious hurts that we deal with. I have very personal experience with some very heinous hurts committed against someone that I loved. And you're right. They don't deserve it. Neither did we. 
only response I have to that is forgiveness and bitterness has been called a poison that we drink hoping to hurt another person. So I can sympathize with your struggle, and more importantly, Christ himself can empathize with that. As he hung on that cross after being beaten and abused, humiliated and ridiculed, he did it without the slightest trace of vengeance in his heart. In fact, he did it while saying, Father, forgive them. See, he was expressing his willingness to not hold on to negative emotions in that moment and expressing verbally his willingness not to take vengeance when if anyone could, he could. So how do we begin this process? Practical applications. How do we begin to forgive? First, we need to acknowledge that there is something to forgive. I know that sounds weird, but sometimes in life we just get used to masking pain and hurts from our past. Sometimes in the church we're bad about slapping a Jesus band-aid on it. You know what I'm talking about. We've all done it, especially if you've been in church very long. We throw a scripture verse at someone who's hurting and we're just slapping a Jesus band-aid on it and we think that's going to be good enough. And it's not our fault, we don't know. We've been afraid to, to turn into the hurt. We've been afraid to face into the pain. So we slap a Jesus band-aid on it and we keep rolling. So sometimes we have to first be willing to acknowledge that there's even something to forgive. And we do it in all sorts of ways. We do it in church with the Jesus band-aids. We do it for our family members. You see, it wasn't his fault. Dad just worked so hard. You know, if I hadn't said this that way, or she's just dealing with so much right now, and this, so we make an excuse. Again, forgiveness is not excusing, it's not condoning, it's not pardoning. But we just kind of brush these things off, and, and, and we, we address them that way rather than actually addressing them. Or we blame ourselves. We say, you know, if I hadn't done this, then this wouldn't have happened. It's just ways that we... We, we do. It's nothing wrong. It's just what happens. But we need to acknowledge sometimes. And when we don't acknowledge it, we're not allowing ourselves to go through the process. We've short-circuited the healing process that, that God wants to use in our lives that forgiveness will bring about. Now, once we do acknowledge that there's something to forgive, sometimes we can just let it go immediately. It's like, oh yeah, that is a thing. Oh, well, why was I carrying that around? I could let it go right now. Other times, there are issues that run so deep, we have no clue where to begin. So some practical advice. In my life, things came to a point where I was told to create three columns. There's a wonderful graphic here that will illustrate this. That's mine, but I thought it would catch your attention. Should have had Audrey make that one for me. She'd have done a better job for it. But I was told to create three columns. One was people and entities. It's not just people. Sometimes it's Greensboro Police Department. Sometimes it's Walmart for the self-checkouts. Whatever it is. People and entities that I could forgive today. Another was the row in the middle that I might could forgive later. 
And then there's the never gonna happen, not gonna happen column. It's okay. It's okay to say not gonna happen. Put them down anyways. Because what happens is as you begin to deal with the easy things, the things that you can deal with right now, an amazing thing will start to happen and some of those maybe laters will bump over into the I can deal with them now. And then as you deal with some of those maybe laters, eventually you start to see some of those not gonna happens begin to make a little move into the maybe laters. You start off praying, God, I pray they get what they deserve. It's an honest prayer. God can handle it. And then eventually, as long as you're willing to pray for them, even if that's your prayer, take them to God, you'll begin to see, God, I pray that they might get the same grace that I've been given. And we begin to let go of those negative emotions, such as vengefulness. And eventually, we begin, we begin to increasingly wish that offender well and pray, Lord, I don't want them in my life, but I pray that they could find the same grace that you've given to me. I'll leave you with a personal example of this. Not too long ago, I had the opportunity to experience this again in a, in a dramatic fashion. I was at a spiritual retreat. Um, there was another man at that retreat that prior to this event, I hadn't even acknowledged, I hadn't even realized how deep of a resentment I was holding against him. And it was for an offense done to someone that I loved. Um, my first night there, I actually considered leaving. As my thoughts began to bother me more and more, and I, and I prayed honestly to God about my situation to let him know, you know how the depth of my hurt and the agony that I was in over this situation, um, I became convicted of willingly holding on to this resentment when God was offering me a chance to let it go. So I approached this man whom I had given the cold shoulder for the whole weekend, and without saying a word, I just stuck my hand out and in that simple act of submitting to God's will in my life, um, when he took my hand, it very quickly went from a handshake to a hug. He was crying. I started crying. Not a word was spoken in this encounter, but a very palpable sense of God's presence was in that moment. And I don't know that I've ever more purely felt it than when I was surrendering in that moment, surrendering my right to be angry at someone for an offense. See, God is in the forgiving business, and I don't think we're ever more like God than when we are forgiving others. We don't have the right to be resentful at someone who does us harm. We don't have the right to be resentful at someone who harms those we love. In Corinthians 6.12, I'm told I'm bought with a great price. I gave up those rights. In Matthew 5, 38, 45, 38 through 45, You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, 
Do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. We know these things. We know we should forgive. We just put a block up. And we say, no, that's too hard. That's for somebody else to do. It's not. It's for us to do. And if we're not willing to do it, that probably speaks more to to who we are and what we've got going on in ourselves than we would care to acknowledge. So if you're here today and you have no idea why you should ever forgive anyone who's wronged you, after all, no one's ever forgiven you, then today could be the first day of the rest of your life. There's a God who loves you. There's a God who who gave up his seat in heaven for a little while to come down here, be born as a baby, live a life with all the needs that he needed just to end up hanging on a cross to express that love for you. It didn't stop there. He, he rose himself up again and he sits at the right hand of the Father as an advocate for you for all of eternity. If you're just willing to acknowledge that, that you need him and that you'll accept it. If you've lived as a believer but harbored unforgiveness and really just hindered yourself and your relationship with God and others. I guarantee you it's hindered your relationship with others. Then today he wants you to help let that go. As we sing this closing song, I'll be down here. Um, Or maybe you're just found that you're looking for a new church home we'll have a number on the screen if you want to text us or if you want to reach out to me or or someone during this invitation you can text us at 706-703-4477 if you would pray with me Father God thank you for the forgiveness that you've extended to us that we in our own power and in our own minds can't even begin to comprehend why you would do such a thing. Thank you for modeling for us what it means to let go. Thank you that you loved us so much so that we can then in turn love others. Help us to apply these principles. Help us to model the behavior that you've told us to model. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.